0: What's good everyone, and welcome to another edition of skates and plates on the hockey podcast network. I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki. We got a couple jets games to break down and dive into for today's episode, but first the 55th super bowl is this weekend 55 and a game this big deserves a big prize, not just some trophy. So DraftKings, the official daily fantasy sports partner of Super Bowl 55 has up to $55 million in total prizes up for grabs with their Super Bowl prediction pool. How's that for big? All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. That's right. Free. Once you submit your picks, you'll get a free instant prize up to 25 K and if you have the most predictions, correct, you could win the top prize of a cool million dollars. So all you have to do is download the app. Now enter the free prediction challenge, answer questions like who'll score last simple ones like that. And boom, get ready to mega a rain out there. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012. So yeah, they, uh, they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use promo code THPN now and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I hope you guys are ready for the big game, the big feast on top of it too. I've already started game planning my menu. I'm, I'm in a good place right now. I'm feeling good. I've worked out. Like I mentioned earlier last week to you guys, I mentioned that you know, wings, I think, are an absolute must at any big game day feast. So my big priority so far has been figuring out how can I nail the perfect wing sauce. And I think I'll, I'll let you guys know what the results are going to be. But I think I'm actually going to go with, I don't know, a pear cider. It's some kind of cider, cider hot sauce. So I'm going to cook down some cider, maybe a pear cider or black. I don't know, just some some kind of cider out there with uh, like a Frank's red hot sauce, you know, like a normal Buffalo, just add a little cider, add some sweetness to it. And I'll figure out a way to get an extra kick in there as well. But I, I want to know, you know, and again, hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore wiki. I want to know what your, your go-to game day food item is like the one thing that, whether it's the Super Bowl, a big jets game, What's the one thing that you always have in your back pocket that you know is absolutely going to dominate compared to what everybody else is bringing? So let me know what your, your go-to recipe is. I want to know, know what you guys have out there. And on Friday's show, I'll break down some of what you guys are making. And maybe we'll have a fun little you know, mini competition about who has the best game day recipe, the homemade game day recipe. I'm very intrigued to see what you guys come up with. But let's get to the jets right now. A couple games since we last talked to you guys, the one Saturday against Vancouver and I'm in the studio early this morning, breaking down a hell of a game, at least a hell of a finish to a game last night against the Calgary flames, the first of four straight against last year's playoff foes. And that was a really bizarre game last night. It was bizarre, but there were some things that took place that are going to be very intriguing moving forward. To see if it was just a one off, or is this something that's just going to be the way it is moving forward? So, we're going to dive into a change on the decor. Something pretty significant happened in last night's game, I believe, for the first time this season and even going back to last year. So, we're going to touch on that, no doubt about it. We'll also break down the forward shakeup. We all knew the top six was, eh, I mean, it's not a major shakeup. You're basically just swapping centers, and the wingers are staying put. But we all knew something was going to happen and we'll break down how those guys did as well. But to the game itself last night, you know, it sucked for me the most because through 40 minutes, I thought that might've been as good of a game as we've seen the Jets play this season in all honesty, and and mainly from a defensive side of things, especially with the disaster that was that game against the Vancouver Canucks. I, I thought the Jets absolutely smothered the flames through 40 minutes. And the only goal being that, I mean, I guess we got to talk about it. The Connor Hellebuck nightmare on that first goal from Chris Tan just seven seconds into the period. I mean, look, it's, it's a fluke. It happens, right? I, I've never seen it. It's ever happened to me on a, on a shoot. Unfortunately, right. I, I don't even know if it's happened. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a play like that. I've seen stuff like that at practice before, but I don't know if I've ever seen it during a game, but I'm sure every single goalie in the NHL has one of those nightmare ones that it just happens a bad bounce and it sneaks in. I, I mean, there's not really a whole lot more to break down from Connor Hellebuck on that. Uh, but I think it's fair to say too, that by what happened <laughs> for the rest of the game, specifically in the third period that yeah, Connor Hellebuck made up for that one, right? He, he gave one to Calgary, but he took at least a couple away from them later on in the game. He was absolutely fantastic. He was kick-ass once again, you know, he, he's, he's come to play as of late, which is promising to see after uh I don't want to say a bad start, slow start, just a has, hasn't been the the quote unquote Vezna quality goaltending that we saw for basically all of last season. But yeah, I thought the Jets as far as their neutral zone play, they were spot on. They did a great job as as they always try to do, you know, bringing that defenseman up into the neutral zone trying to force a turnover as they make that first pass the opposition does. And you know, Demello did that a bunch of times you know, uh, even bowl. and Stanley did that a bunch of times. The the jets just really shut down the Calgary transition game and, and didn't allow them a whole lot of opportunities to spend time inside their own zone. That was kind of the key to me for how they stifled the Calgary flames attack through 40 minutes, at least maybe even 50 minutes actually, because it wasn't like the third period started. And then bam, all of a sudden Calgary is starting to take it to Winnipeg. It was you know, about 10 minutes to go. And, and th- man, did things ever get off the rails there really quickly, didn't they? Calgary's forecheck got a little more, a little more frenetic, a little more intense, I guess. And they caught Winnipeg inside their own zone a few times. And that led to, you know, the first goal of the period, Johnny Gaudreau gets loose. So we'll break down the the first two goals that Calgary scored in that third period, because especially on the first one, there was some some debate online as to, you know, who's to blame. For the game tying goal that kind of kickstarted Calgary's run of dominance in that middle frame there. So we'll just break down that play as it happens here. I got it up on NHL.com, so you can kind of follow along if you want. But it starts off with the Jets are hemmed in their own zone for a decent amount of time. They're able to just barely chip the puck out of the zone, and a couple forwards get off for a line change. Now the puck only makes its way to the red line. Calgary starts their transition. They reverse the puck, get back into the zone. And when they do, it's essentially at this point a three-on-three. Three. Like the, the Jets are in a, a fine position, right? The D pairing on the ice, I believe, is Nathan Beaulieu and, and Neil Peong. I mentioned there was a bit of a change there. Sorry, it's it's Beaulieu and DeMello. So a bit of a change, you know, a wonky set of pairings out there. But Beaulieu, DeMello are out there. And Jansen Harkins is that third forward. Or sorry, he, he's the forward along with the two defensemen that are getting ready to thwart the transition play. And so right once they get into the offensive zone, they're fine. Nathan Bolu steps up on Elias Lindholm. Dylan DeMello has Milan Lucic right there in the middle of the ice. Jansen Harkins has Johnny Gaudreau kind of on the, the far side of the ice. Everything's okay right now. The, the, like the Jets are in a fine spot. There's nobody that's in danger that's open right now. But what happens as Lindholm gets stopped by Bolu near the top of the blue line, because of that line change, Yusuf is able to pick the puck up and he's got some space to work with here. And this is where the play breaks down because Jansen Harkins sees Valamaki grab the puck. Now he's not even near the top of the circle just yet, but he's starting to come in towards getting closer to the home plate area. He's not there just yet. Now Blake Wheeler has come into the frame as well off the bench on a line change. This is where Jansen Harkins just has to worry about his man, especially in that man on man defensive structure that the jets like to play. Instead, he sees Valamaki with the puck. He's not in a crazy dangerous area. He has to stay on Johnny Gaudreau and trust that Blake Wheeler, one of the other wingers coming on the ice that that somebody else is going to take use of instead he gets caught puck watching a little bit goes after Yusuf and what happens? Johnny Gaudreau is left wide open back door. Blake Wheeler doesn't have a chance to get to him because that was Harkins man. And it's an easy, I mean, a great pass by Vella but an easy tap in and an easy finish for Johnny Gaudreau on that one. So, you know, people have been kind of getting on Blake Wheeler for his defensive play this season. That's not on Blake Wheeler. That's all 100% on Jansen Harkins. He just leaves his assignment. It's that simple. It's a, it's an easy fix, but, you know, one that uh, a young forward in the NHL, maybe you get away with that with the moose, but you know, (laughs) defensemen, even, even ones that aren't offensively gifted at the NHL level, they'll find that play. They'll find that pass and they'll make you hurt. And it's two, two. And then, I mean, things really got off the rails at this point for the jets. They, I mean, Calgary made a nice play and this is what teams do all the time. Something that I wonder if Paul Maurice is going to make an adjustment on moving forward. Uh, But I I touched on earlier when the jets do play well in the neutral zone, They always have one of their defensemen that is puck side, which just means that they're the one closest to the first pass that's made to the forward. That defenseman is aggressive, pinches up in the neutral zone, whether it's at the red line, the blue line, wherever that defenseman is going to pinch up and force either a chip, a turnover or somehow pushing that puck back towards the opposition end. And so, what Calgary does there as Logan Stanley gets ready to make his pinch, he moves up. The spot that he vacates is now operated by a couple of Calgary forwards. They go on a two-on-one, and Stanley, Bull, you are kind of in no man's land. A great one-two play by Lindholm and Lucic. Actually, Stanley has to. That's where he takes a penalty that ultimately leads to more and more pressure, and Hellebuck has to make a hell of. I mean, that might have been the first of many you know, five-star saves from Connor Hellebuck on that one with the diving paddle stop. But that was, you know, in part how Calgary found a way to exploit Winnipeg's aggressiveness and create some chances of their own. And it just, man, did it ever snowball. It just continued and continued and continued as that period went along there. And eventually we saw Andrew Mangiapane score the winner. So let's break down that one as well, because, you know, talking with some people last night, and these are some guys that don't watch a whole lot of Jets games either, but they're in the hockey world. And they were just, they were aghast at what they saw in that play. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw, you know, four, maybe even five guys all below the goal line there. You're just in a puck battle. You're caught, you're caught watching there. All right. So what happens on this one here? It, it starts now, interestingly enough, that first pass into the neutral zone at the red line, Dylan DeMello pinches up on one of the Calgary forwards. Now he's able to chip the puck cross ice and gets it to a streaking Mangia panty who beats Wheeler and gets a great chance on net, but misses the net. At this point, the jets should be in pretty fine position. The puck goes behind the net. There's a puck battle. You can see that as of right now with the puck in the corner, backlands down low Stassi kind of in a support role. Kyle Connors in his correct spot up there on the wing, DeMello and Morrissey. Now this is where the problem area happens. Wheeler is down low battling with Backlund. That's fine. Stasny's in a support position. That's also fine. DeMelo and Morrissey right now, because it was on the rush, are both in front of the net. So there's some confusion here as to who should jump into the corner, who should stick a little bit closer to the net. So as the play happens, DeMelo drops down low, Stasney drops down low, and it's a three on three right now. So that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But Morrissey is also kind of leaking down low a little bit as well. And as the play continues, that's where the trouble happens. Is Kachuk wins a one-on-one battle down low. But Josh Morrissey is the one that steps a little bit too far below the goal line. Four Jets players, two forwards, two defensemen, all below the goal line. And that leaves Noah Hannafin, who's pinching in. All alone up front, you have too many forwards down low. You have too many defensemen down low. And he's left wide, wide open. And he gets that puck in a dangerous area, Josh Morrissey, because he's way too far puck watching. He's behind the goal line at this point. Tries to make a block on the play. He gets maybe just enough of it, but that leaves Mangiapani, who, I mean, he's trying to cover two guys at once, right? Mangiapani picks up the loose puck. He puts that one home. Connor Hellebuck has no chance on that one. So two different plays there, you know, they're they're both results of the Jets being attacked by the Calgary Flames on how aggressive Winnipeg is in the neutral zone. They they gave Calgary fits through 40 minutes, but some smart adjustments by the Calgary coaching staff that enabled them to get after Winnipeg and spend some time inside their defensive zone. And then we see the breakdowns. There weren't too many in the game, to be honest. Things just kind of got out of control in that third period. But we saw a breakdown from Jansen Harkins losing his assignment, forgetting his assignment. And then Josh Morrissey, I believe, ultimately the culprit on what was the go-ahead goal at the time, just caught. I mean, there just needs to be better communication sometimes, too. We saw that with, you know, Wheeler and Shafley on that first goal back in Saturday against Vancouver where Wheeler points Shifley down low to take one of the Vancouver forwards, but in doing so doesn't grab the guy that's in the slot. And it, it was a pretty easy opening goal uh, for Brock Besser and the Canucks in that one. Like just simple miscommunication, things like this should be able to be corrected by now. You can't really blame it on, hey, you know, it's the first couple games of the season. They'll figure it out. It's it's getting, I mean, we're pretty close to the quarter point of the season already. and And simple things like this just already have have popped up too many times for the Winnipeg jets, because other than that, they've actually been pretty solid, at least much better than last year defensively in the game. So a really disappointing sequence there. Thankfully though, the jets are able to tie this one up and they've been as good as any team in the NHL. Haven't they, when it comes to, excuse me, tying the game up in the last minute, minute and a half, they've already done it. I mean, th- that was the second time this season and a great job here by Mark Scheifele in particular on this goal, You know, Blake Wheeler is able to get the puck up. It's a simple play, really. Neil Pionk gets it at the point. But Shifley, I mean, this is a tough spot for defensemen and goalies, too, where Shifley just kind of sneaks behind the net. He's able to come up from behind the goal line and make the tip on that point shot. It's really a, a a difficult job, especially six on five, for a defenseman to find that guy. But great, great work by Mark Shifley. Once the pass is made up to the top of the point, to hustle his ass and get right in front of the net and he also makes a great tip as well on top of it so just great work all around by the Winnipeg Jets on that play finding a way to at least grab that extra point overtime was really really entertaining and then we get to the shootout and you know what so this is the first shootout of the year for the Jets and shootouts are always so funny to me for two reasons the first reason is we kind of base the entire discussion or the tone of discussion on the game based on what happens in the skills competition, which to me is basically a coin flip between two teams, right? So because the jets lose the game in the shootout, a lot of people are going to look at what happened in a negative tone in an, in a negative light, as opposed to if say, you know, Wheeler gets that puck up just a touch more or, or pros able to score and the jets find a way to win it on nothing materially changed. In the 65 minutes, but if the Jets had scored one more goal, we'd be looking at, Hey, wow, what a comeback victory by the team able to overcome some adversity and overall a pretty solid game. We don't talk about it like that. Instead, it's how the hell did the third period happen? Their defensive game is an absolute wreck. They've got to find a way to figure this out. So it's just funny. I try to avoid it as much as possible. I fall victim to it too, as well, but it's just funny how when a team loses in a shootout, the entire 65 minutes is kind of clouded by whatever happens in what ultimately is a coin flip in my opinion. But the other thing with the shootout is a lot of people were upset last night about shooter selection. And I've always got a kick out of this, you know, people saying this guy should be going up or what is this guy doing on this move? Look, I don't always like, kind of just submitting to authority and saying, well, the coaches know more than we do because, hey, look, sometimes coaches make mistakes. But in this case, the coaches literally do know more than we do. They run shootouts at the end of almost every practice during training camp. They run shootouts all the time during the regular season. In this case, the coaches have actually knows who is best to throw out there in these situations. And I don't really have a problem with Matthew Perot going. A lot of people saying, how does Nick Ehlers not get on there? He's been their best forward this season. Well, he doesn't get on there because he's not very good at the shootout. I believe he's 0 for 13. I think Matthew Perot is 2 for 13. So it's not like, you know, you're you're picking between you know two roses here when it comes to the shootout. I, I think it's just quite simply the coaching staff thinks Nikolai Ehlers struggles. Perot has scored before. You throw Perot over who actually, and by the way, he made a nice move. Like people getting on him for, for going out there. Perot made a nice move on the play. Markstrom, Markstrom just looked really good in the shootout. So I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, if Elias goes in and miss, like, just, I don't know. To, to me, it's more along the lines of who cares. Whoever goes in, goes in the jets. Top four guys, you know, couldn't get it done. Those were the right decisions. Those are their four best shootout shooters. I just don't really have a problem with it. By the way, there were a couple beauties in the shootout. Kyle Connor is just, I mean, he is just ridiculous, isn't he? How quick he is with his hands in front in tight spaces like that is just absurd. And Markstrom has no chance on that move. But Johnny Gaudreau's goal, my God. I mean, poor Connor Hellebuck. I mean, no fault on Hellebuck on that one. But he was basically at his mercy there. Had the choice. Do I want to go backhand? Kind of the easy play on that one? No, I'm going to kind of disrespect him and his family by going right through the five hole on top of it. That was a hell of a move by Johnny hockey. He actually had, you know, I thought his best game of the season for the Calgary flames, but enough of that, let's get to some of the, the on ice play by, we'll, we'll start with the forward core because the defensive core is something that's really, really interesting to me. Something that happened for the first time this season. I wonder if it's going to be the way moving forward. But we we talked about that shakeup in the top six. You know, the outside of the fourth line, the one line that stayed put was the third line, Adam Lowry's line. And again, Adam Lowry's line had a pretty solid game for the team. Uh, tops essentially in terms of expected goals and Corsi. I mean, Adam Lowry's just having himself a hell of a season. He really he's been outstanding. And we might have to talk in a different episode about you know what decision is going to have to be made. A I mean, he's a UFA. Is he going to resign with the team? But B, what decision is this team going to have to make when it comes to the expansion draft? And do they have to find a way to keep Adam Lowry on their roster? But he was great in the game. But the top six was changed. Did a whole lot change in the game? I I thought Mark Shifley, Ehlers, and Cobb were were pretty good. I thought they were good. Like, they weren't jump off the page outstanding. But they made a couple nice plays. I, I thought Shifley was even better defensively. But yeah, like, there was nothing that... You would point to that game and say, "Hey, we have to find a way to keep those three together." But I thought a positive step, nonetheless. The Stasny line looked, the Stasny line didn't look too great, and it's kind of tough to ignore that Paul Stasny has looked really good this season for the most part with Ehlers and Cobb, and then the first game he's put with Wheeler and Connor, Paul Stasny has a bit of a stinker. So this is something we're going to have to to look at moving forward. Is how do we figure out a way to solve the defensive issues of Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor? Because again, they were near the bottom of the team. Really. They were the worst, especially when it came to ice time chances for chances against. And again, Wheeler and Connor out there for two goals against. Now they weren't necessarily at fault for those two goals. Maybe more so the, the final one that Calgary scored as opposed to the game tying goal at the moment. But They're just, they haven't been good defensively at all this season. And I wonder if at some point, Paul Maurice has to find a way to break those two up and where you just can't have them on the same line together. And it might come at the cost of, of splitting up. What's been a great pairing so far in Ehlers and cop, but I just, I don't know how much longer you can go like this, where one of your lines is getting caved in and you have to look at the two wingers that are constantly on that line and think, you know what, something's got to change here. Although, you know what, it will once Pierre-Louis Dubois does come in and we'll we'll get a better sense of where the team is at when he kind of practices with the club officially for the first time. I believe we're still about a week away from that getting down. Now, the other thing I really want to bring up here, and this is fascinating, and it's going to lead to a, a much different discussion moving forward. But as far as I know, this is the first time... I, I guess really going back to last season and this season that the Josh Morrissey pairing was clearly the second pairing in terms of ice time. And I was, I, you know, I kind of wondered over the last little bit, if this was something that was going to take place for Paul Maurice, where he was seeing what was going on out there. And you just kind of have to make the harsh realization that Josh Morrissey and, and I guess Dylan DeMello right now, his pairing, his partner Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello, that's the Jets' second best defensive pairing. And that Neil Pionk and Derek Forward is this team's best defensive pairing. And I wondered would he kind of officially make that change? And it happened in last night's game. Neil Pionk by far led the team and led the blue line with even strength time on ice, 22 minutes. And, and I thought, you know what, maybe he just got cut out there with some guys, who knows. But Derek Forward was second in even strength time on ice with just under 18 minutes. Josh Morrissey getting 16 minutes of even strength time his his numbers overall looked like they were boosted a bit but that was because of some power play time he plays 2140 but as far as even strength goes Forber Pionk were the Jets top pairing I don't disagree with that decision by Paul Maurice Morrissey Demello they I mean they've been kind of had to take it taken to them the last little bit the last couple of games the, the Vancouver one in particular but even going back to the Ottawa game as well you know, I, I think Dylan DeMello has been fine, but again, it's been a bit of a bit of an iffy start for Josh Morrissey. I guess the one thing I would say as of right now is that, yeah, Pionk and Forbert moving forward for the next little bit, that has to be your top pairing. They have to be the ones that get the most ice time on this team. They've been solid since game one, and I don't see any reason to to limit how much they're playing out there. You just, you wonder, you wonder if Josh Morrissey is going to get back to the guy that he was a few seasons ago. The guy that earned that that six six and change, uh, contract that he signed. It's just, isn't it so bizarre that, you know, Truba Morrissey that looked like the, the top pairing of the future for the Winnipeg jets. Both of those guys were outstanding. Like they were so, so damn good together. You know, Truba earns the $8 million and and maybe he was never worth that, but he was worth a big money contract as well. But both those guys secured the bag And they're just they not the same without each other. I I can't remember the last time I've seen something like this in the NHL where two guys are paired together and you think there's just no reason to think that they're going to struggle whatsoever when they're on their own. But since that moment, they both just haven't been the same players. And I don't know what it's going to take for Josh Morrissey to get back to that, but he has to for the Winnipeg Jets. He has to find a way to get back to that level with Dylan DeMello, give the Jets two solid pairings. And then you don't really have to worry with what's going on in the third pairing. But it's, it's just been a, it's been a bit of a rocky couple games for Morrissey DeMello in particular. And I just thought it was interesting that Paul Maurice finally makes the move that, you know what? Our top pairing as of right now, our two best defensive guys are Neil Pionk and Derek Forbert. So that just about does it for us for today's episode. I do want to say that there's going to be two more games, Jets, Flames. We'll dive deep into those two games for you guys as well what I would like to see change more so than anything, I guess we should mention Christian Veselina made his season debut last night. Uh, yeah. I mean, not a whole lot to break down for me. He has won a couple shifts in the first couple shifts in the second, and then just a 39 second shift in the third period. He had a great scoring chance. I, I guess maybe that would be the one thing you would hope that he, he finds a way to capitalize on that one, but didn't look out of place. Didn't jump off the page either. The one change I do want to see though and I, I know a lot of you guys are going to agree and, and want to see this one as well. I, man, I think it's time we get Villy Hainala back in the lineup. I, I just, and it's not even that Logan Stanley's playing all that bad. He's been fine. And may, maybe Nathan Boley's the one that comes out. Like, I don't really have a problem. Either one of those two that comes out. But I, I just, I, I think this team needs a little more offensive punch. And Villy Hainala might just be this team's best puck mover on top of it. But I do wonder too, you know, as far as upside goes, a lot of people think he has top pairing potential. And just with the struggles of Morrissey DeMello, I'm not saying that he's going to be a top pairing guy this season, but I kind of want to see him get a little more action and just get a sense of, you know, what, what he's going to be like this season and maybe get a better sense of what his potential could be moving forward with this team all along that Billy Hanala, after he played his first couple games this season was one of the jets six best defensemen. I haven't seen anything that changes that. And I do think it's time he gets back into the lineup. We'll see if Paul Maurice agrees in time for Tuesday night's game. And then one more Thursday against the Calgary flames, but that doesn't, that will officially do it for us for this episode of skates and plates on the hockey podcast network. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said, we're back on Friday. We'll break down two more jets games against the flames and then really pumped for this interview. I think a fixture in the Winnipeg scene, former Blue Bomber legend Albie Khan stops by. We talk shawarma Khan, how to make the best shawarma wraps in the city. His plays green carrot as well. He's actually got a hangover cure. That that's a game changer for me. If you're like me and and you wish you would have known about that a little bit earlier, hopefully you can still grab one before it's too late. But he talks a little about that, about fresh juicing and his new spot, Good Local. Just a great initiative basically like Amazon Winnipeg that he's founded trying to highlight local business. We dive into all that. It's going to be a great conversation. So that's coming up on Friday's episode. But for now, thanks so much for listening guys. Again, I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki, skates and plates on the hockey podcast network. Thanks for stopping by. Peace.